Good morning. And welcome to worship today. I just want to direct your attention to the announcements that are printed in your bulletin. We've got several things coming up, uh, especially since it's almost uh, time for Christmas. And so I want you to be aware of our Christmas worship schedule. We have uh, a service at 4 o'clock and at 10 o'clock on Christmas Eve, and then 10 a.m. on uh, Christmas Day. And this is one of those strange years where we have a Sunday right after Christmas Day, December 26th, so, we, we will, so uh, maybe we'll see some of you then too. <laughs> um, a reminder that today after worship we have our lesson in lefsa making. So if you have never made lefsa, uh, you can join us downstairs and get a lesson. Uh, if you have made lefsa a lot of other times, you can still join us for uh, the fellowship and uh, maybe share some of your wisdom. Uh, and maybe make some lefsa for your holiday gathering. So please join us downstairs in the fellowship hall for that um, uh, afterwards, too. And uh, just a little teaser about that, too. We're, uh, uh, for this month and next month, we're, we're having kind of a, a cross-cultural carbs event each month. We've got, <laughs> got lefsa today, and then uh, in January, uh, Leticia Castleberg is going to teach us how to make tamales. So... Uh, if you want to stick around after church in January, we'll, we'll, we'll eat some more food then. Uh, if you're interested in buying a poinsettia plant for uh, the display up here for decorating the church and then taking it home after Christmas, uh, you can sign up in the back of the church um, after worship. Are there any other... Oh, and also, um, so those who aren't making lefsa or if you want to stick around a little bit before going downstairs, um, we do need some help decorating um, up in the front here, our trees, getting ornaments out and things like that. So if you are interested in helping decorate the sanctuary, just stick around in the sanctuary for a few minutes um, after worship as well. Are there any other announcements we should make this morning? I do want to lift up, um, again, the, the people affected by the tornadoes down in Kentucky. Um, please be praying for them, and we'll be sure to remember them in our prayers today. So uh, uh, please please be praying your way through the news at all times, but I know uh, this morning I think many of us are reading about the, the deaths and the destruction um, from tornadoes down south. And with that, let's begin our service with our prelude music uh, to center ourselves for worship.
please stand as you are able and face the baptismal font. Blessed be the Holy Trinity, one God, who alone does wonders, who lifts up the lowly, who fills the hungry with good things. Amen. Let us confess our sin, trusting in the tender mercy of our God. God, for whom we wait, one another, we confess our sin before you. We fail in believing that your good news is for us. We falter in our call to tend your creation. We find our sense of self and material wealth. We fear those different from ourselves. We forget that we are your children and turn away from your love. Forgive us, blessed one, and assure us again of your saving grace. Amen. God in Christ Jesus has looked with favor upon you. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, your sins are forgiven. You are children of the Most High, inheritors of the eternal promise, and recipients of divine mercy. God strengthens you anew to follow the way of peace. Amen. For our first hymn, we are going to actually sing verses 1, 2, and then 1 again.
grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Stir up the wills of your faithful people, Lord God, and open our ears to the preaching of John, that rejoicing in your salvation we may bring forth the fruits of repentance. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Please be seated. Blessed are you, God of might and majesty, for you promised to make the desert rejoice and blossom, to watch over the strangers and to set the prisoners free. As we light these three candles, satisfy our hunger with your good gifts, open our eyes to the great things you have done for us, and fill us with patience until the coming of the Lord Jesus. O ransomed people of the Lord, come, Let us travel on God's holy way and enter into Zion with singing. Amen.
The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will, replace, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will re renew you in his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing as on the day of festival. I will remove disaster from you so that you will not bear reproach for it. I will deal with all your oppressors at that time. And I will save the lame and gather the outcast. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you home at the time when I gather you. For I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Word of God, word of life. The second reading is from Philippians 4. This is a wonderful passage. I really, I really like this one. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. 
Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Word of God, word of life. Gospel according to Luke, the third chapter. Glory to you, Lord. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our, as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. And grace and peace be with you, friends, in the name of Jesus. Although I should probably say today, grace and peace to you, you brood of vipers, <laughs> who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Uh, sometimes you wonder how John's preaching drew such a large crowd. 
I don't imagine many of us enjoying being compared to snakes, but some, for some reason, that drew people out. Uh, the image was of snakes scurrying away from a fast fire. And I don't imagine you'd find John's opening words in Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. He doesn't sound very diplomatic or like a politician running for office. Instead, John sounds like a prophet. You brood of vipers. His mission wasn't to attract followers or necessarily to win friends or to influence people. His mission was to prepare the way of the Lord, our text says. You know, rulers throughout the centuries have used heralds to go before them and announce their arrival. Most of us need a minute to uh, ready ourselves, make ourselves fit for royalty. We need to wipe our nose and straighten our outfit, uh, stand up a little straighter, and, and otherwise prepare ourselves for someone important. A herald gives us a warning to get ourselves ready for the arrival of a ruler, of a king, of a queen. I think of that scene from uh, Disney's 1992 film, Aladdin, when uh, Aladdin is transformed by the genie into Prince Ali, and genie uh, creates this caravan going in front of him uh, on his way into Agrabah, and they sing, make way for Prince Ali, and the whole uh, town gets ready for the arrival of a prince. They get out of the way, they get ready, they celebrate. And kind of in that way, John the Baptist is a herald crying out for the arrival of the Messiah, the arrival of a new ruler, a new king. John, in our gospel, says he is preparing the way for one who is more powerful than I. Make way for Christ. Make way for the new ruler of the universe. A regime change is underway, and it is time to assess and switch your allegiances. John is always challenging. He preaches a big and wild God in a way that can be unsettling for us. Wild not in the sense of uh, untrustworthy, but wild in the sense of free to do as God pleases, to be on God's own terms. I think there's a human tendency within each of us, maybe I'll speak for myself, uh, within myself to downsize God into someone, into something small and tame. We limit our God time to certain times of day, perhaps 9.15 on a Sunday morning. We limit our God time to certain places, perhaps 1904 Winnebago Street. Or maybe we limit God's presence to certain people, people that we like, people who think and look and behave like we do. So to hear God announce the advent of a big and wild God can be a little unnerving, a little unsettling. His words are more challenging than they are comforting. In 1943, Major Scott Lee, Robert Lee Scott Jr., an Army Air Force pilot during World War II, released a memoir of his combat years called God is My Co-Pilot. A few years later, in 1945, his memoir turned into a movie, too. Maybe some of you have encountered those, that book or the movie. And to this day, you'll still see bumper stickers saying things like, God is my co-pilot, or perhaps the parody, which I think I see more often, is uh, Dog is my co-pilot. And uh, usually you'll see a canine riding shotgun. And there is something nice about the thought. I don't want to uh, uh, denigrate that. God is my co-pilot. I take it to mean that God is my companion, that God accompanies me through life. That as I go through trials, God is alongside me. 
And that is most certainly true. You'll find that in the scriptures. But I think if that's our only image of God, uh, we're, we're limiting ourselves, that God is too small. I think the prophet John would want to push us further than God is my co-pilot. God as co-pilot is much too small for John the preacher, much too tame for the man crying out in the wilderness. If God is my co-pilot, it suggests that I am still mostly in control and God is my assistant who helps out every once in a while when I need it. John might want a bumper sticker, uh, and he probably, probably wouldn't want a bumper sticker, but if he wanted a bumper sticker, uh, maybe God is the whole blue sky, God is central command, or God is flight itself. There is a human tendency to assume that we are the main character and God is our sidekick. And because of this, we try to box our God into a manageable size, one that we can carry with us and use when we need. But John wants to tear that box open to release the wildness of God in our world. What's true of us was true in John's day, too. And that's what I hear God saying to his listeners in the text. He's saying, let's remember who we're dealing with here. We're dealing with God, not some tin pot dictator. And God is all-encompassing, not a sidekick. God is a reality which we adjust to, not a reality we control. God says to the crowds, Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. In other words, let's not forget that in John's word, God is able. Now, John is within Judaism. He's a Jew, and he's not saying that God is abandoning God's promises to Abraham by no means. But he is saying something about how divine election isn't just a nice badge of honor that you put on, you know, wear around or put on the, on the shelf. Those promises are a gift of grace meant to transform lives, to give purpose for the sake of the world. They are an all-encompassing reality that we adjust to, not a reality we control. God isn't the sidekick of Israel's story, according to John. God is the author. God is able to create and is able to act with or without us, and so it's time to get with the program. It's time to get on board with what God is up to. And that's what he means by repentance, to turn around, to get with the program, to walk in God's ways. Let's not forget who we're dealing with when we deal with God, John seems to be saying. And John is preaching in the wilderness. And this isn't just some random setting for his ministry, just where he happened to be. The wilderness was a place where God's people received the covenant. It was a place of special intimacy with God. To go to the wilderness for God's people was to return to that relationship, to return to God, to recover what it was like to live that vulnerably, to rely on God for all things. To state the obvious, the wilderness is a wild place. It's not like a city or a home. And perhaps the God being preached in Jerusalem in this day was a little too tame for John the Baptist. Perhaps God was shrunk down to, the, to a size that could accommodate the political and economic realities of being under Roman occupation. By calling the people out to the wilderness, John was returning the people to the untamed God of their ancestors. Remember how our wild and all-encompassing our God can be, he seems to be saying. 
Perhaps some of you are familiar <clears throat> with the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Lewis was a Christian, century, a Christian apologist in the 20th century, and those books he wrote for children are drenched in Christian themes. Aslan the Lion, if you're familiar with the story, is a Christ figure in the books, and his story mirrors the story of Jesus in so many ways. And there's this scene in the book that reminds me of John's preaching. In the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where Susan, one of the children who's the main character, who are the main characters, is learning about Aslan the lion for the first time in the home of Mr. Beaver. And Mr. Beaver says to her, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, Susan says, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He's the king, I tell you. And that is the good news of John's preaching, too. John is ringing an alarm bell about the arrival of a new king, one who is more powerful than him. John is preaching a big and wild God, but he's also preaching about our good God, a God with power to save. He's telling us that God is initiating a great, big cleanup of the world, and all things will be set right, will be made new. The world is about to be turned upside down. The mighty are going to be brought low, the lowly lifted up. And John is calling everyone to get with the program. This is a reality we need to adjust to, not a reality we control. That we need to switch our allegiances from the worldly to the heavenly kingdom. And as harsh as John can sound, this is ultimately good news for us. Because we don't need a sidekick. We need a messiah. And John says he is on his way. John couches this hope in words of judgment, in threats of fire that are confusing, I believe, for us. But I don't think his emphasis on the fire is the main point. It's mainly, his main point is on the wheat. The point of his preaching is not to burn the chaff, however we might imagine that, but to harvest the wheat. In the great clean of the world, we need justice and wholeness to reign, and justice involves judgment. Judgment can be good news if you're a victim, and bad news if you're a perpetrator, and in a way that line runs through, both of, runs through each of us. When repentance and forgiveness are abundantly available, as John says they are, even judgment can be good news. The primary aim for God is to save the wheat and to save the world, to set things right. And let's remember that the author of Luke's gospel, whom we read today, is also the author of Acts, this is where we get the story of Pentecost. So when we hear these words about fire, we maybe aren't thinking so much about hell as we are about the descending of the Holy Spirit in wind and flame. This fire has a sense of purification, but it also carries with it the sense of God's palpable presence in the Spirit. And John says Jesus will baptize with spirit or wind and flame. And so John unsettles us. He takes those God, the God we put in a box and opens it up. God unleashes a wild and grand vision of God's big story, of God's salvation. And it leaves the crowd with a question. And I think it's the primary question we are uh, feeling right now, too. If all of this is the case, what should we do? And John, John says, if you have enough to share, share it. 
Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. Whoever has food must do likewise. And tax collectors who are so caught up in the ways of the world, John says, stop taking more than you're supposed to. And to soldiers who were uh, in league with the Roman Empire, stop exhorting people. In other words, if a new ruler is about to show up, it's time to change your life. It's time to adjust to the reality that's showing up. It's time for John to herald a new way of being, a new kingdom, of a new reality that's being born into history. The good news of John's God is that we don't need a sidekick, we don't, but we do need a Messiah, and a Messiah is what we get. The Messiah is almost here, so we are to get with the program because this Messiah is wild and the dream is big. This God is not safe, but this God is good. And so as John prepares his generation for the coming of Jesus, we too are preparing our hearts for the coming of Christmas. And John, each year, invites us to get with the program, to love our neighbor, to adjust our reality to the love of God coming into our world. Not adjusting God to our reality, but adjusting to God's grace in breaking to this dream of God, which is on its way. Amen.
people and places that yearn for God's presence. Holy God, renew your church and raise up leaders who announce your good news. Grant peace to congregations and seminarians in the midst of transition. Guide the works of candidacy and call committees. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. Creating God, your spirit brought forth the earth and all that is in it. Breathe life into us that we are inspired to live in harmony with one another and the planet. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. Shepherding God, you lead your people in paths of righteousness. Raise up the prophets in our own day who warn against captivity to greed and point us to the freedom of, found in generosity. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. Nurturing God, you come near in times of worry and need. Cradle us in your arms that we trust you and are not afraid. Attend to any who are hungry, imprisoned, or ill this day, especially Denia, Lynn, Kristen, Bob, Mark, Sabrina, David, and Graham, and all those we name now aloud or in our hearts. Grant them healing and wholeness. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. Rejoicing, God, you exalt over us in singing. Enliven the song of this assembly and bless the ministry of church musicians especially our global music ensemble, the Trinity Choir, and our bell choir. With instruments and dance, join our voices to the song of all creation. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. We give you thanks for your servants who showed us your goodness and grace. By the power of your spirit, keep us steadfast in faith until we make our home with you. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. Loving God, we lift up today all those affected by natural disasters, especially as we think of those affected by the tornadoes in Kentucky, those who are grieving, those who are injured, those who have lost their homes. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. God of new life, you come among us in the places we least expect. Receive these prayers and those of our hearts in the name of Jesus. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And also with you. Uh, please turn to those around you and share a sign of peace. Yeah, peace. <laughs> <laughs> And we won't be passing an offering plate today, but there is an offering plate back by the baptismal font. If you have an offering with you, you can leave 
your offering at the plate by the baptismal font, either on your way up for communion or perhaps as you depart today. Uh, thank you all for your, your ongoing uh, generosity. And we will hear our musical offering. Please stand as you are able. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is indeed right and salutary 
that we should at all times and in all places offer thanks and praise to you, almighty creator, through Christ our Lord. You bid your people cleanse their hearts and prepare with joy for the Paschal Feast. Renew our zeal in faith and life and bring us to the fullness of grace that belongs to the children of God. And so with the church on earth and the hosts of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending One, the beginning and the end. The giver of life. Blessed are you for the birth of creation. Blessed are you in the darkness and in the light. Blessed are you for your promise to your people. Blessed are you in the prophet's hopes and dreams. Blessed are you for Mary's openness to your will. Blessed are you for your son Jesus the word made flesh. In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. It's my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, gave for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. Let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. With this bread and cup, we remember your word dwelling among us, full of grace and truth. We remember our new birth in his death and resurrection. We look with hope for his coming. Come, Lord Jesus. Holy God, we long for your spirit. Come among us. Bless this meal. May your word take flesh in us. Awaken your people. Fill us with your light. Bring the gift of peace on earth. Come, Holy Spirit. All praise and glory are yours, Holy One of Israel. Word of God incarnate. Power of the Most High, one God, now and forever. Amen. Gather into one by the Holy Spirit, let us pray as Jesus taught us. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. 
for the kingdom, the power, and the glory of the universe, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated as we share some instructions for communion. Communion today, you'll go to the side aisles and come forward, where at the front there are two tables by the side aisles, where you will pick up an empty cup. You'll bring your empty cup uh, to the railing, where it will be filled with wine, and where you'll receive bread. If you need or desire grape juice or gluten-free, those are also at these two side tables. Just pick them up and bring them to the railing. After you've communed at the railing, you'll return down the center aisle and leave your empty cup in the bowl here by the center aisle and return to your seat. We want all friends, guests, and visitors to know that uh, all are welcome to commune with us this morning because this is the Lord's table, not Trinity Lutheran's table. And the invitation comes from Christ. Receive this invitation to communion. Come to Christ's banquet. Feast on God's gift of grace.
please stand as you are able. May the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ strengthen you and keep you in God's grace. Amen. God of hope, fill us with all joy and peace in believing, so that we may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, through Christ Jesus, for whom we wait. Amen. Go in peace. Christ is near. Thanks be to God. Amen.